I, what I notice is that it's mostly a big retail deal, starting with Christmas decorations at Home Depot in August and marking Thanksgiving with uh, Black Friday. And then we get to launch Advent by, by having uh, Cyber Monday. I mean, it all works out for us really quite handily when you think about it in, in our culture. Uh, I did a Google search this week on Christmas events in Orange County, and I just went to the first link that I got, and I got a very, very long list of events happening between now and Christmas. None of them were religious in nature at all. They were just events. And so, of course, to fill in the gap, we, we church people very often create our own rather splashy events to uh, compete with all the splash that's out there. It is, in our culture, kind of a splashy and spectacular season. But you know, our, our text from Isaiah this morning suggests something a little bit different when it comes to all of the things that seem so spectacular. He suggests something a bit different about the coming of this one from God, this one we would call the Messiah. Something different than people might have expected in Isaiah's time. And even as, as Isaiah looks forward to this one who will come sometime in the future, one who will bring right judgment and righteousness to bear on the earth. He does something very interesting. He, he disconnects this coming one from Israel's most famous King David. Uh, instead of linking this one to this whole line of Israel's kings, a line that's marked with wealth and corruption and violence, he steps back in time, back beyond David, to David's father, Jesse. And he offers this image of this new, green, fresh shoot coming up out of this old, ancient stump. So the coming one is not linked to that old line of corrupt kings, but rather back to the humble peasant family from which David emerged so long ago. And so, yeah, this coming one is going to be a king, but this king will emerge on a very, very different path than what was expected. Well, John the Baptist appears in the story this morning in, in kind of a similar way. People come to him to offer their lives to God in repentance and baptism, but John isn't like the, the typical official religious leaders of the day. He doesn't wear all the special attire that marks him as a pious scribe or Pharisee, but instead he dresses as a prophet of the wilderness. He does his work way out on the fringes of respectable society. And, and if there's any splash with John, it's just the sound of people getting dunked in the river. And that's about it for him. You know, I, even having saying all this, I, I have to confess, sometimes I really do want the Christmas season to be splashy and spectacular. I mean, I am the only guy in the block that hardly puts up any lights, but nevertheless, I want everybody else to do it. Uh, you know, I've had years when the demands of life just seem to overshadow the whole season, and before I know it, it's all gone. It's January, I'm back to my regular routines, and I feel like, you know, Jesus came and went, and I miss the whole deal. And uh, so uh, every so often, I've, I've sought out all of those sensational Christmas extravaganzas in the hope that I'll be just saturated with the depth and the meaning of the anticipation of coming of Jesus. Of course, it never works just costs a whole bunch of money before you're done. Um, but there's something we miss in the search for the spectacular. 
Just as the people in John's day anticipated a Messiah that was very consistent with the supposed glory and power of all the kings in the line of David, the Davidic kings, we also can be distracted from the coming of Jesus by, by all sorts of expectations. We expect our families to behave well at holiday dinners. Good luck with that. Uh, we expect our homes to be adequately decorated for the holidays. We expect certain gifts to be given and received. We expect that our church services won't interfere too much with all the real stuff that we have to do around Christmas. You know, as Matthew tells the story, he identifies John the Baptist as one foretold by the prophet Isaiah, one who would prepare the way of the Lord, one who would, who would make his paths straight. But I got thinking about it and I thought, wait a second, why, why do the Lord's paths need to be made straight in the first place? I mean, they're his, right? They're God's paths. Uh, God, I don't know about straightening his own paths, you would think. If he's in charge, if he's the ruler of all things, then, then why does this even need to happen in the first place? Why do his paths need to be made straight, his way prepared? But the Lord's paths on the earth were not straight. They weren't in John's time. They weren't in Isaiah's time any more than they are in our time. The world doesn't look like the ideal existence that's described in the very beginning of the Bible in the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. Instead, the world remains consistent with what you read about in Genesis 3 where everything just goes to smash and stays that way. Um, it's a world that's broken. It's a world that's alienated from God. It's a world whose paths are anything but straight. And the paths certainly in John's time as well as Isaiah's time and in our time, are paths that are filled with people who expect something else other than what God is about to deliver. Well, John the Baptist also shows that the one who is to come certainly is not going to be aligned with Israel's line of kings, uh, a line of kings whose corruption was in that day so grotesquely illustrated in the person of King Herod. Nor was he to be identified with the religious elite of the day, a group of people who John so indelicately calls you brood of vipers, not exactly the most welcoming, you know, it's like you bag of snakes, uh, not a way to win friends too much. But instead, this one that John speaks of, he says, is to be identified with the coming of God's kingdom. Well, you know, it's a challenge for us to think of the coming of Jesus in this way, really. Because we want Jesus sometimes in different ways. We want him to be identified more with political preferences maybe, where we robe him in the flag of a nation. Other times people will, will wrap him up in certain religious traditions, locking his ministry in the world within particular denominational boundaries. In our culture, the coming of Jesus is often woven very intricately uh, into retail spending and spectacular events. I mean, you ever think about what would happen if everybody who identified some affinity with Jesus in the United States didn't do any spending at Christmas? What would happen to the retail numbers at the end of the year? They would put us all in prison for ruining the economy, most likely. That's how tied our holidays are into, uh, into that part of our culture. But it's likely that both Isaiah and John would counsel against those kinds of characterizations. The coming of Jesus is the one that takes the unexpected path. The familiar paths are the ones that need to be made straight. In September of 2005, I traveled to Louisiana with a group of folks from three different churches, one of which I was the pastor of. 
Uh, we went to offer help in the relief effort following the, the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, and it was a, a wreck there. And one of the things I remember the most is, was what happened to all the roads. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think much about the roads I drive on when I'm driving on them unless I hit a pothole or a bump or something. I just expect them to do what roads are supposed to do. They're supposed to ride comfortably under the wheels of my car so that I can get where I need to go. I, I just don't, as I'm driving along, I'm not thinking about the road. I take the road for granted. But the devastation of that hurricane made me think a little bit differently. Not only had Hurricane Katrina washed away a lot of the roads, but the ones that were remaining had become dangerous places. There were huge trees that had fallen across the road, making travel either impossible or just plain treacherous. The creepiest part were the power lines that had all come down that were laying across the roads, down the sides of the roads for miles and miles and miles. It looked like electrical snakes getting ready to bite somebody. Uh, it was kind of a terrifying vision, quite frankly. And most of us who were down there doing the work that we were doing were connected to networks of churches who had, who had come together in this giant kind of conglomerate to serve people, to bring food and clothing and water and to repair homes and do those kinds of things. Uh, while the government workers were trying to address infrastructure issues, not the least of which was to get those roads cleared. It was crucial for those roads to be fixed. They were all out of whack. The roads needed to be prepared. They needed, in a sense, to be made straight, put back to rights. Well, the paths of the Lord in John's time had become something like that, out of whack, needed to be made straight. And John prepared the way of the Lord outside of the drama of the city and away from the power and the sacredness of the Jewish temple. And he operated down by the river. It was a, he was a wilderness prophet calling people to paths that were being made straight. If someone wanted to experience the spectacular, then being around John was not the place to be. John summoned faithful people to enter the quiet waters of the Jordan River and to turn their hearts back to God. John called the people to a new place of peace. And peace is, in my view, kind of a lost art in our culture. I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about the absence of war, a good thing, but I'm talking about really experiencing peace even within the chaos and demands just of everyday life. But we've got more ways to plug in, change channels, shop, and stay busy than we have ways to experience and, and demonstrate any sense of peace. And it's really interesting to me that in, in this time of year when we anticipate the coming of the Prince of Peace, that we can be anything but peaceful. One trip to the mall will prove my point, by the way. Or any of those YouTube videos of shoppers at Walmart on Black Friday, did you see those? Oh my goodness. Anyway, there's a lot of reasons for me not to go to Walmart, that's just one of them. But you know, our text from Isaiah this morning speaks of such a peace. A peace in which the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
It is a kind of idyllic description. It's one of a world that is completely foreign to us. But it's a reflection of the created order as it's described in Genesis 1 and 2. It's a, it's a picture of the world as God has intended, an intention that Isaiah anticipates with the coming of the one who rises from the lineage of David's father, Jesse. And certainly Isaiah and his hearers, his audience in the day, would have understood that they lived in the painful realities of Genesis 3 and everything that comes after it. They understood that they lived in a broken world, but Isaiah didn't leave them there. There's hope that the peace of God's intention will once again prevail upon the earth. And John mirrors this anticipation when he declares that the kingdom of God has come near. When God's kingdom comes, a new kind of peace is brought about. And the way that John worked to prepare the way of the Lord was to call his Israelite kinfolk to turn their lives back to God, to turn, to repent, and to be baptized as a sign of that new reality. You know, I, I don't have the power to derail the busyness of our culture, and, and I don't imagine that any of you do either. But like John's contemporaries, we are called to turn our lives once again in a fresh way back to God as his kingdom draws near. And a new kind of life ethic emerges. A new kind of peace begins to form us. Just as Jesus would later on tell his friends, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You know, it, it's kind of a no-brainer to assume that some of us here today are already stressed out because it's Christmas time. It's not a big leap to suggest that. Um, people get overwhelmed when the holiday seasons come. When, when Christmas is defined as a dominant cultural celebration that's primarily crafted by advertisers and retailers, when it's darkened about the fears of family difficulties and potential financial problems along the way, then this annual holiday for some folks can become a stress monster. But on this second Sunday of Advent, as, as we try to move together through the rhythms of the beginning of the church's year, we're called to live in a different space, one that's defined by peace. Rather than allowing our worship of Jesus and the celebration of his coming to be marked by this sense of exhausting busyness, we're called to live in the peace of God's kingdom, anticipating it at the same time, demonstrating the return of God's intentions for the world. And yes, we are probably going to go to office luncheons and the various social gatherings that we're gonna be summoned to go to. We will brave the stores, we will get frustrated when our online orders do not arrive in time for Christmas, I get all of that. We will cringe at the thought of the dinner conversations to come when certain family members land on our doorsteps, understood. But none of that is our true and deep reality. Our true deep reality is the peace of the kingdom of God. So, it all sounds good, but what does that even look like for us? Like in real life. Well, I suppose that it's something for each of us to discover along the way as our, as our attentiveness begins to come to the possibility that God's peace, the coming of his kingdom, could actually be present in our life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
But being here together is part of that. Being here gathered as a community of faith is a, is a significant part of living in that peace, in remembering, rehearsing, and experiencing the gift of Jesus coming to us. And maybe it's about learning new ways to be present, present to God, present to others, and to be so present in ways that defy the busyness of the season. And have you ever done that? Have you ever noticed how peace emerges when we seek to be truly present? By contrast, busyness demands that we're always running to be present somewhere else. You know, I like it that John the Baptist did his work out on the edges of the city, kind of away from respectable society, so to speak. But I also like it that his work of baptism required to be present to each person as he immersed them in the Jordan's muddy waters. There would be the the touch of his rough hands on every individual who came to be baptized. And perhaps if he knew them, he would even speak their name. Each person would experience the peace of repentance as they entered the silence of the waters to be baptized. And you know, today we all need the personal, present touch of Jesus in our lives. And there's some of us here who need a rescue, a rescue from the Christmas monster that demands that we dance to the drum we really don't seek to dance to. We need to be released into the peace of the coming of Jesus. And I want to pray that for you right now. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today as products of our own culture, and we understand that. And we know that we live in uh, a context that demands certain things from us and that we will be in settings that bring us into the busyness and sometimes the chaos of the life of the season. But I ask right now for those who are here today, for whom that feels like a weight on them that is unbearable, that you will lift that weight right now by your presence, by your touch, that your Holy Spirit will now enfold them into a place of the peace of your kingdom. And I ask for all of us, Lord, that as we enter into this very sacred time of the anticipation of your coming, that we will experience your peace as we are present to you and present to others, anticipating what you will do in the lives of those around us and within us. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.